Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Hello and good morning, Emmanuel Faith. My name is John Riley. I'm the junior high pastor here at Emmanuel Faith. And uh, thank you, thank you. That's nice of you. Uh, a lot of you may not have seen me much or know who I am, and that's okay, because normally at this time I'm over there with the 7th and 8th graders. Um, today, however, I have the privilege and honor of being with you today. Speaking of 7th and 8th graders, um, there's not, we're, it's break and a lot of our leaders are gone, and so we have a lot of our students, both junior high and high school, joining us up in the balcony this morning. Hello, students that are here. Nice to have you in church. A um, little bit about myself. I'm a married man. My wife and I celebrated our 31st year wedding anniversary a few days ago, which is cool. We have uh, two sons, a daughter-in-law and a chihuahua that we care about and are close to. Now to today's passage and today's message, which is called Speak Up the Truth in Love. Have you ever walked away from a person or a situation where you actually felt like you should engage? You just knew you should say something to them about what was going on. Perhaps there had been conflict between you. Maybe you knew that person was upset with you. Or maybe you felt, felt compelled to say something because you saw the direction they were going and thought they were headed to trouble. But instead of saying something, you uh, turned away or walked away or did your best to ignore it, or ignore them. Well, I confess, I used to do that regularly. Avoidance was my modus operandi, you might say. And then I found the passage that we're going to study today, and the key verse of this passage, and it changed my way of interacting with people. It changed how I think about myself, how I think about those difficult situations, and how I think about God's plan for the church. So I'd like to show that to you. We're going to be looking in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. If you'd like to open your Bibles and get ready. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. But first, some words about the context. We have this book of Ephesians because Paul had helped plant a church in the city of Ephesus. Which is uh, the ancient city of Ephesus, which is in modern day Turkey. Now, he lived there and taught the people for about three years. He became friends with them. They were his disciples. Then, years later, he's now under arrest, and he's in Rome waiting to have Caesar's pronouncement about what the judgment was going to be about his case. And while he's there, he's writing this letter to his old friends and disciples in Ephesus. In the first half of the book, chapters 1 through 3, is all about spiritual truths that he wanted to make sure they remembered, that they never forgot. Don't forget, before God created anything, he had you on his mind. It's a really cool thing to remember. And he has adopted you into his family because of what Jesus did on the cross. You're a new person, a new creation. It's not by anything that you or I could do. It's not by works. It's by God's grace, the gift of Jesus. We just have to receive it by faith. We call these kinds of truths doctrine. The first three chapters are the doctrine. He didn't want them to forget. And then the last half of the book, chapter 4, 5, and 6, we get to the practical. All right, because you know these important truths, 
Here's how you live it out. And that's where we find ourselves today, at the beginning of chapter 4. Let's look at it together. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. It says this, I, therefore... A prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So straight away, Paul informs his friends in Ephesus that he's a prisoner. This is actually his second time mentioning it in the book. In chapter 3, verse 1, he says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. Interesting to me, he doesn't claim to be a prisoner of Rome. He doesn't claim to be a prisoner of Caesar, but a prisoner of Christ. Then here in chapter 4, he says, a prisoner for the Lord. As we head into this new year, many of us have been considering our hopes for 2024. What will we give ourselves to? What will we commit to? How will my time be spent? Am I resolved to anything in the new year? In an interesting, uh, in a book called The Incredible Power of Kingdom Authority, Getting the Upper Hand on the Underworld, a man named Adrian Rogers, who I didn't know anything about except for this book, but in the earlier service, one of our members grew up with Adrian Rogers as her youth pastor, which is, I really think is cool. Anyway, he was visiting with Dr. Joseph Sohn, a revered Romanian pastor who was uh, an author and president of the Romanian Missionary Society. And before the fall of the Soviet Union, Dr. Sohn lived through years of exile and persecution in the cruel communist regime. Then, after he was released, he'd been in the United States for some time, Adrian Rogers was visiting with him, and he asked him to share his experience, like, what do you think of the American church? And Dr. Sohn's response may surprise you. He said, well, Adrian, he had some hesitation, he's like, but since you asked, I'll tell you, the key word in American Christianity is commitment, and you might relate to that. But to Dr. Sohn, he didn't think it was such a very good term. He thought it was a bad substitute for the older and better Christian teaching, surrender. And Dr. Sohn elaborated on the difference between the two. This is a quote from him. When you make a commitment, you are still in control. No matter how noble the thing you commit to, one can commit to pray, to read their Bible, to automobile payments, to give money to the church, or to lose weight. Whatever he chooses to do, he commits to. But surrender is different, he said. If someone holds a gun at you and asks you to lift your hands in the air as a token of surrender, you don't tell that person what you're committed to. You simply do as you're told, and here's how he finished the quote. Americans love commitment because they are still in control. But the key word is surrender. We are to be slaves to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's an interesting perspective. I think there's a wide divide between the practice of committing some part of one's life to Christ and the practice of surrendering all to Christ. But surrender is better than commitment. Paul writes to the people at Ephesus and he tells them, look guys, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. I go where the Lord says. I do what the Lord tells me to do. And because I have that reputation, and that's been my calling, I'm encouraging you to do the same thing. I urge you, live a life worthy of that same calling. It's interesting that Paul calls it a calling. Prisoners don't usually respond, oh, hello, we need you to come to jail right now. 
But we're called to surrender all to Christ. Here's an interesting thing. Believers learn that control of one's life is just an illusion anyway. We don't really have control. And they also learn that it's better to surrender to God than to struggle against God. So take some time right now, where you are, and evaluate. Pray about which practice looks more like your walk with God. Commitment. Have you decided, oh, yeah, God, I'll give you a little bit of this here. I'll, I'll give over here. Or does your life look more like surrender? Just pause a moment and think about that. Uh, the answer to that question is a really good conversation for later today. Talk about that. What does your life look more like right now? Commitment or surrender? Now to verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Where the ESV reads eager to maintain, the NIV reads make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Every effort. Hmm. Paul uses commanding words here when he encourages us to put all humility and all gentleness into the peace and unity of the church. It makes me wonder, when do I get to say to God, God, I'm not feeling like being gentle right now. Patience? I've known believers that have asked me to pray for them that they might have patience. I don't think that's a very good prayer. If you ask me to pray for you for patience, the only way God can answer that prayer is to put you into situations where, at best, you have to wait, and at worst, you're being driven crazy while you wait. Patience. We're told, however, to patiently surrender and to bear with one another in love. Eager, making every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Here's the principle that goes with that. Unity and peace take activity, not inactivity. Activity, not inactivity. A couple of Saturdays ago, a lot of folks contributed to a lot of activity in order to spread the love of Jesus around us. Some of us took Christmas gifts and that many of you prepared those gifts. You put them together and you returned them to the church. And this is the group of us that delivered those presents to Montejora Baptist Church in East Tijuana, Mexico. Thank you so much for putting them together. I'm going to show a brief video now of some of the shots of that day. And then that will transition to how a lot of other people were here at the church that day putting on the church's snowball bash, bash which is an outreach for ministry to families with foster children here in North County. Watch this.
Yes, yes, yes. Thank you and well done, Emmanuel Faith, for giving gifts and partnering with the church to share Jesus' love. It takes activity, not inactivity. When we don't have intentionality, people seek comfort and we imagine that that looks like sitting or lying still. And depending upon the time of year, either with the sun on us and a cool breeze or surrounded by blankets and pillows. We think that that is what peace and unity look like, but that's not the case. It doesn't come from stillness or napping. It requires work. How much work? Paul says all humility and gentleness, patiently bearing with one another and eagerly making every effort. So maybe I did leave that church too soon. I didn't make every effort. Maybe some of you did too. Maybe some of us need to give every effort towards love and unity right now, even with those of us that have been unbearable, which I can be at times, and I'm sorry. But let's surrender together and do the work that it takes that we're called towards peace and unity. And the rest of this passage is going to explain how. Let's look at verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. There are a lot of ones there, seven of them, and there's seven keys to our fellowship and our unity, important doctrines that we hang on to. Verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Whenever the scripture mentions a list of gifts of the Spirit or ways that people in the church serve or help or lead each other, it will mention that these gifts are a part of the grace of God. These abilities are attached to our freedom from sin. Our salvation includes grace to grow the church. I think that's really cool. Now verse 8. Now I'm going to read the whole rest of this part together, verses 8 through 16. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high talking about Jesus, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by the craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Of that whole large section of text, I'd like to focus on verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into him who is the head into Christ. This verse clearly states the main point of today's message, which is speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. 
I love seeing a principle that is straightforward. Something that I look at, I'm like, ooh, I can hold on to that. I can remember and grasp that. And I can even imagine when I see it how I might live that out in my life. Speaking the truth in action. Okay, what? Speaking truth, ah, being honest, being real, bring God's truth into the conversation. How? In love, in a loving way, in a way that helps that other person know I'm saying this right now because I care. I care about you. I think that's really cool. Notice what the verse says happens. When people speak the truth in love, it says we are to grow up into every way, into him who's the head, into Christ. When we speak the truth in love, we grow up into Christ. When we speak the truth in love, believers become more like Jesus. That's a key insight for today, that this formula is, or this is the formula for growing to be like Jesus. We speak the truth in love, and that helps us become more like Jesus. So, my question, how does this work for us at Emmanuel Faith? If you are a guest here, new to our church, you don't need to know this answer. But for everybody who's a part of Emmanuel Faith, a quick little test. I want you to turn to the person next to you and tell them what our mission is. What is the mission statement of Emmanuel Faith? Go. All right, I see the wheels spinning. Some of you are like, oh, I think I know. I've got something about what... It wasn't in today's worship folder, so you can't look there. You're getting your phones out to find it online. I'll help you. At Emmanuel Faith, we are a church living in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. Did you get it right? Some of you had it. Some of us had it. But not all of us had it. And that's why I understand um, come this fall, Pastor Ryan Paulson is going to be leading us in a series where we're really taking a strong look at this statement. And what does that look like? How do we as individuals and corporately as a church, how do we go about living in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus? I'm going to take a few moments today and explain how speaking the truth in love leads towards this. That's what we're going to do right now. The way that I look at this mission statement is this top line explains what we're all about, living in the way of Jesus. This is our direction, our purpose. And we get our direction and our purpose from the scriptures, specifically from the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. The Great Commission from Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20 uh, Jesus said, therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the, say it, Father. Some of you down here did a great job. Nicely done. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And lo, I love the old English when we get to that part of the verse, and lo, which today modern translations say, and surely... He says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That's the great commission of Jesus to make disciples, teaching them to obey. And the great commandment, we understand, Jesus was asked, hey, what's the most important commandment in the law? And he answered him and said, aha, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. This is our mission. This is the way of Jesus. Making disciples, loving God, loving the people that he puts around us, teaching them to obey everything 
that we're commanded. And the second part, with the heart of Jesus, that's the manner in which we go about doing the way of Jesus. It reflects Jesus' character. And that comes out clearly as listed in the scriptures through the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Uh, Here it is on a picture on the screen. You can see this different kinds of fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the fruit of the Spirit that when you're close to God, this comes out of you. I don't know if you're here two weeks ago, Pastor Ryan led us through the book of John, chapter 15. Such a beautiful passage where Jesus explains, look, I'm the vine, you're the branches, stay connected to me. Stay close to me. And he reiterates it three times. And the third time he says, look, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. Because we can't hug him today, we don't hear his audible voice most of the time. Um, The way that we remain in him, stay close, is focusing on his words. That doctrine part that's so important. And when we stay close to him and trust those truths and live it out, we do it in a way where love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, that's coming out of us as we're about making disciples, loving God, and loving the people around us. So, these are good uh, discussion parts for when you're heading home a little bit later today too. Does your life look like this? Does your life look like you're living in the way of Jesus? How much are you about these purposes? And does your life reflect his heart, his character? Is the fruit of the Spirit coming out of you? If you're willing to talk about those things. Are you being joyful? Already being patient. Those, those are an indication of how mature we are as believers or how wise of a person we are. I gotta be honest, I had to pray, Lord, oh, there was far too much baking and chocolate around me this Christmas for self control. I don't know about you. Far too much. Uh, can you be honest with the people around you and say, oh, you know what, last Friday, I wasn't good, I wasn't patient with you, I wasn't gentle with you, I'm sorry. Sometimes we get so caught up when we've done something wrong that we can't just be honest and come to the people that are around us and be real and apologize. Uh, One thing I'll encourage you to remember is that we are surrounded by people that have also been tasked to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so, I'll encourage you to laugh at past foolishness. Don't laugh because you hurt somebody. But laugh at how easily you got sucked into being foolish again. And didn't have self-control or wasn't patient, whatever it was. And be honest. Many times the way we start speaking the truth in love is through confession. Rather than waiting till others come to us, hey, I got something I need to say to you. Uh, We go to them and say, I'm sorry. We express our care and we own our mistakes. It's my guess that if in your life, living in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus, if that feels really far away, then you're probably struggling to surrender. Probably struggling to put your hands up and say, God, take me, you've got me. Jesus loves you and is safe. He died for you. 
He wants you to trust him, to follow him, to make these purposes your purposes, to have his character be what flows out of you. He's trustable, and you're invited to put your hands up in trust of him. And it, it feels like we're going to do this surrender. Okay, send me away. But really, it's more of a pick me up. It's more of a trust because he has got us and he's worthy of our trust. So back to this uh, phrase, speaking the truth in love. The speaking the truth in love is the formula for growing to be more like Jesus. It's a formula or a recipe. And we've heard some others, you may know them. If you want to have a good day, start with a good breakfast, people say is important. An apple a day keeps the, say it, doctor away. Got to get in my 7,000 steps. Some people live by that. It's a formula for health, they say. Believers go about the work of Christ and reflect the character of Christ, who live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus, by speaking the truth in love. That's how it happens uh, corporately and individually. Uh, back in verse 11, Paul wrote, and he gave apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. All of those gifts, all of those positions, uh, coincidentally, they involve speaking the truth in love. And that's not just an assignment for those positions, it's for everybody, every person that's in the church. It becomes, speaking the truth in love, our mode of relating to one another. And sadly, it doesn't always happen that way. But when it does, it leads to growing to be like Jesus. Here's how I've observed it. There's one person who has something challenging or difficult to say to someone else. And they approach them and they speak the truth. They bring it up in a loving way so the person knows that they care about them. Well, that person who was the speaker grows to be like Jesus. And then the person who was the hearer has an opportunity the, the truth has been brought to them in a loving way. They can respond and also grow to be like Jesus. Sometimes the hearer doesn't want to hear it, at least for right now. And that's okay. Keep praying. But according to Paul in verse 15, the one who speaks the truth in love grows, becoming more like Jesus. I'll share some observations about how I see this work around us. People are generally better at the love part or at the truth part. And you probably know right away which one comes out of you more easily. The goal or the hope is that we do them together. A little bit later, I'll talk about the dangers or the problems of just doing one without the other. But what we want to do is do them uh, together. That's how we grow. Observation number two, every part of the body matters. Verse 16 said this, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The Greek word translated joint in there uh, can also be ligament. And he's referring to the inside parts that hold everything together. Every person in the church is a part of this body and matters. Therefore, if someone is hurting or is missing or is sinning, it affects the whole body. It will hinder the growth of the whole body and that person is worth our every effort of surrender to try and reach them with the truth and love. Next observation, deceit will infiltrate our church and our lives. We'll look closer at verse 14 in this one. 
Paul wrote, so that we may no longer be children, or the NIV says infants, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful eschemes, is how I like to say that word the best. This verse is why there is a rather at the beginning of chapter of verse 15. Rather than this, this is what not growing looks like. I'm pointing up here. The verse isn't on the screen. It's in our Bibles. Uh, this is what it looks like to not grow. Uh, deceit is right here on our door, and we have to be careful. Some junior high students gave me a good illustration of this just a few nights ago. I woke up to this on my front yard. <laughs> yeah. Um, the rumor has it that this was accomplished by three junior high girls, and they took their time. They did a pretty good job. I'm actually uh, not mad at them. I'm kind of proud of them. They've done the best job I've ever seen of somebody TPing our house and left their results. But when I first walked out there, honestly, I wasn't very happy. Uh, this is what I look like at the very beginning of it. But I bring it up not because what they've done was a deceit, but when I got to this part where the tree, this is actually my neighbor's tree, and I was pulling TP out of that, and I remembered the very first time my house, I uh, had a house that was teepeed. I was a youth pastor in Denver, Colorado. One of my volunteer leaders on the staff there was a great partner in ministry. I loved him and trusted him deeply. He'd served faithfully. He was a really smart guy. In fact, by training and by profession, worked for a defense contractor. He literally was a rocket scientist. And he explained to me that if you ever get teepeed, um, instead of pulling it out of the tree, which can cause it to break and leave strands way up high, just light it on fire at the bottom <laughs> and it will burn so hot and so quickly it won't catch the tree on fire, it'll just burn the toilet paper out of the tree. So these girls reminded me of that because in Colorado, the first time I got teepeed, I had a tree in the front yard and I tried it. Before that moment, I didn't think of myself as a gullible person. <laughs> But sure enough, I let my, lit my tree on fire. You see, it, thankfully, it was the end of October, and most of the leaves had fallen off the tree already by that time. But there were still some leaves, and they started burning. If there had been more leaves there, I would have burnt down the tree, possibly the house and the neighborhood. <laughs> that is a lighthearted story about deceit entering. Um, but it will enter, deceit will come, and we must be ready. Rather than let it take hold, we speak the truth in love. And for some here, the very first place that we need to fight against that deceit is going to be in our own minds. Our enemy, the devil, used my own thoughts to keep me sidelined from ministry for too long in my youth. I thought my self-centeredness, my sinfulness, it really disqualified me from God's love, let alone doing ministry. But that's why Paul wrote chapters one through three, to remind believers, God loves you. You are a new creation. Put off the old, wear the new. He reminded him of how high and wide and deep is God's love for us. We have to hang on to that. We've got to fight against it in our own minds. I encourage you, if you struggle to feel the truth at times, speak it out loud to yourself, not just internally. 
Even go through the book of Ephesians and read the verses out loud to yourself and believe God's love and God's truth. Here's some mistakes people make when it comes to speaking the truth in love. Uh, first one, hoping it will go away. Knowing that you have something is hard to say and just avoiding it. This is common. And people are good at talking to everyone else about a problem except for the person that they have the problem with. Not only is this avoidance, but that's also gossip. Avoidance at the moment feels like the easier thing because having the conversation is going to be hard, but it's not. It actually just makes the situation worse later on. And sadly, and more importantly, if you avoid speaking the truth in love, you're not going to grow. And every time we go the other way and avoid it, we're missing out on a chance to become more like Jesus. Another mistake. Not saying something because you fear it will come out the wrong way. Raise your hand if that's been you. We've, many of us have feared that it's going to come out the wrong way. It's a normal fear. It's a normal excuse. I've even heard spiritual mentors of mine use it before. But what is it inside of us that makes it us think that we can say to the Holy Spirit, I can't trust you right now. Uh, believers have the Holy Spirit indwelling in them, with us, pointing us towards the truth, guiding, leading us. He is trustable. Now, it's true that things come out the wrong way. That happens all the time. So rather than not saying anything, instead, be quick to say, I'm sorry, that didn't come out the right way. Just be quick to say that and ask for their, I care about you, I'm trying to do this, I'm sorry. I said it the wrong way and then move forward from there. But say something so that you can grow and so they have the opportunity to go to grow. The other mistake is practicing one without the other. Practicing truth without love or practicing love without truth. Some people comfort themselves with the idea that it's good that they always speak their mind. Well, I'm always going to give it to them straight. But uh, interestingly, that's what a shotgun does. Other people comfort themselves with the idea that their role is smoothing things out with love and forgiveness. They don't want to hurt other people's feelings. And they think to themselves that I'm the bigger person, so I'm just going to keep it to myself. The church has a ministry to help people who perpetually behave that way. It's Set Free's Ministries Codependent Group. Now, I don't fully understand what codependency is, but it has to do with always trying to make people happy and struggling to set boundaries and speak the truth. We need to do them both together. Truth without love can do a lot of damage. And here's the interesting thing. People can tell if you're saying something because you care about them or if you're just irritated. And here's the interesting thing. We can pause in the moment. If we're about to say something, and we can ask ourselves, am I saying this because I'm bothered right now? Or am I saying this because I genuinely care about that person? And we can just switch it. Switch it. All right, I'm not going to say this in this way right now just because I'm irritated. I'm going to try and help. I'm going to try and care about this brother or sister in Christ. Just switch it right there. Put the other person first. Uh, the next mistake is thinking that 
love is a Novocaine. Love is not Novocaine. You know the stuff that they put in your mouth to do dental surgery, it numbs the pain, it gets rid of the pain. It's important to understand that love doesn't stop the pain. It's important to understand that pain is actually a gift from God. It affirms that something is wrong. And as the Proverbs say, wounds from a friend can be trusted. Some people here think it's our job to protect people from all kinds of pain. That's not a believer's job. That's not a parent's job. That's not a spouse's job. So do not fear pain in yours or someone else's life. It's better as believers to get used to dealing with pain. Don't help people avoid it, but help people get through it. Because honestly, it can be really, really hard. Next, love without truth is not love. It's not love. Love without honesty could be coming from someone who just prefers being comfortable. I don't want to get involved right now. That's going to be a lot of work. Or it could come from someone that simply hates conflict. And a lot of people are like that. But it's not actually love. Here's how it says it to parents in Proverbs 1324, whoever spares the rod, it says, hates their children. When it uses rod here, it's talking about discipline. It's talking about bringing truth. It's talking about having consequences. And those things go along with truth. If you spare it, you hate your children. But the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Careful to discipline them. Speaking the truth in love is important so that children learn that life isn't all about them. And if you spare it, if you withhold it, you're actually, it says here, hating them, you're harming them. You're making their future harder. As a pastor, I've noticed a couple of kind of students who grow up in families that the way we would say it today is they have parents who always want to make them happy. They're always trying to make them happy, and so they're keeping some of the truth out. Some of them grow up and become like, a, you might remember from Willy Wonka, Veruca Salt, they just become loud and demanding, little monsters, frankly. And the thing is, all of us can be little monsters at times in our life, and all of us have been little monsters. But some people just are always all about themselves. And when moms and dads consistently always try and make kids happy, then they can develop habits of becoming um, all about themselves. Um, the second kind of student that I've noticed who does this at times has a sweeter temperament. They don't become little monsters, but they still have grown up under their parents trying to always make everything okay. And then those young people who have the sweeter temperament, once they get outside of that safe umbrella, oftentimes high school years, college years, they just don't know how to deal with hurt and disappointment. They just don't know how to cope. I've visited too many young men and women in the hospital after they've tried to take their own life because they'd been hurt by someone and they didn't know what to do about it. Our job is not to protect people from pain and we've got to bring the truth to train them, to help them. We have to speak the truth in a loving way. This principle doesn't just apply to parents, by the way. It applies to spouses, uh, co-workers, every relationship, every part of the church. Don't cover up lies or sin with love alone. That's not love. Rather, speak the truth in love to each other. So this might take practice. This might be scary. But it's good. 
Speaking the truth in love is how we grow up to be like Jesus. So here's a suggestion. If you feel the Lord's working with you, he wants you to say something, you're not sure what to do, the Holy Spirit's nudging you though, you can start by coming up to someone and say, hey, I have some observations. Can I share them with you? I've noticed some things. Is it okay if I bring it up? It's different ways to phrase it. But here's what happens. You're asking for permission to speak into someone's life. Now, Usually curiosity will get the better and the person will want to know what you want to say, if nothing else, curiosity. But when you've asked for permission to share, a person has to decide, do I want to hear something that might be hard? And if they say yes, they're actually lowering defenses. They're opening themselves up to hear something that might be challenging. And then if they say yes, what you can do is you can say, okay, this might be, this is kind of hard for me. This might not come out right. Will you bear with me? I just care about you. And I really, really felt like I had to say this. I felt like I had to say something. Speaking the truth in love is the formula for growing up to be like Jesus. I couldn't think of a better challenge for our church as we go into the new year, but to do as Paul instructs us and surrender to God and make every effort to speak the truth to one another in love. All the people God puts around us, knowing that if we do that, our church will grow more and more into Christ-likeness, and so will we. As we say here in our mission, speaking the truth in love is the best way to live in the way and with the heart of Jesus. Pray with me. Dear Father, thank you for your word that guides us. I thank you for this truth. Sometimes we're scared to bring things up. Sometimes we bring things up without caring a lick about the other person. Help us to do both well. Speak the truth and do it in a loving way so that as individuals and as a church, we can become more like you. It's cool this principle is here. May we put it into practice with our new year. We love you. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.